My family did a bonfire ritual last Halloween. Now they're all dead. By Brandon Faircloth. It was my father's idea. He'd always been into the holidays, especially Christmas and Halloween, and he loved finding weird activities for us to spice up our normal festivities. He'd scour the internet for obscure customs for eggs at Easter, or a homemade recipe for eggnog that took hours to make and tasted like ass. Or, as he did last year, a Halloween bonfire ritual. He didn't tell us much about it ahead of time, but that wasn't out of the ordinary. Me and Mom had been around long enough to be used to his bullshit. We knew it was better just to write it out with as few questions as possible, as questioning or complaining never did anything but slow down the whole process. As for the twins, they were only ten, and thought pretty much everything Dad did was awesome. That had nothing to do with the fact that he spoiled them constantly, while the main thing he gave me, his only son, was a hard time. No, nothing at all. Still, I couldn't bitch too much about the bonfire thing. Bonfires were cool, and as far as the holiday bullshit went, it didn't take too much effort. We just had to light a big bonfire on Halloween nights, and when the fire was out the next morning, we spread the ashes into a circle. Once the circle was made, we each picked a rock and put it inside the circle near the edge. Dad told us that we'd come back the next day and check on the rocks. That's where the details of it all got a bit more fuzzy. When Mom asked why we were doing any of this, he just shrugged. Said he'd been skimming through different Halloween customs online, and this was something about telling your fortune over the next year. That's where the details of it all got a bit more fuzzy. When Mom asked why we were doing any of this, he just shrugged. Said he'd been skimming through different Halloween customs online, and this one was something about telling your fortune over the next year. He laughed. Said his main goal had been to have a bonfire on Halloween, but if we wanted, he could always track down exactly what the stones were supposed to mean. I shot Mom a look, and we both started shaking our heads. She smiled at him. No, that's okay, honey. The bonfire was fun either way. That seemed to satisfy Dad at the time, and it wasn't until the next afternoon that he came in from the front yard, his expression worried and tense. The rest of us were all in the living room, watching some dumb show on TV at the time, and when he walked in and turned off the show, the twins started to do their spoiled baby whine. He shot them a hard look and told them to be quiet, and I sat up. Whatever this was, it was serious. What's the matter? My mother tried to keep her voice light, but she still sounded concerned. My father gave her a slight smile and a shrug. Nothing, it's nothing, just... Who took the stones from the bonfire circle? He glanced at each of us in turn as he spoke, his face drawn and pale. What stones? Oh, you mean the one... He cut her off, his tone harsher now. Yes, Martha, the stones we put in yesterday morning. I just thought about it, and I went to go check. They were all gone. So I want to know who took them. My mother frowned at him. Why would anyone take those rocks? 
Couldn't they have just rolled away or gotten moved away by the wind? Dad was already shaking his head. We built that fire on a level spot, and there hasn't been much wind in the last few days. Definitely not enough to blow our rocks out of the ash circle. He turned his gaze back to me. So, who moved the rocks? I met and held his gaze, though I could hear blood thrumming in my ears. Not me. I thought it was dumb to begin with. I mean, the bonfire was cool, but I never knew what the point of the rocks even was. Staring at me a moment longer, he finally shifted to the twins. Girls, do you take the rocks we put out there? No, Daddy, they said in unison. John, what's this about? What's the big deal? Martha, did you take them? Mom rolled her eyes. No, of course not. But what does it matter? Why are you upset about some rocks anyway? He seemed on the edge of some decision then. Perhaps an internal weighing of whether he should say more or let it drop. After a couple of seconds, he forced another small smile. Nah, it's nothing. Just dumb Halloween stuff, right? What do we want for dinner? That was the last we talked about it as a family, and after a couple of days, I forgot about it. The next few months were a pretty good time for all of us, and that following summer, I was busy getting everything ready for moving into college dorm for the first time. I was going to miss being close to my family and high school friends, sure, but there was always this nervous excitement when I looked into the unknowable future that lay before me. I was online looking at places I might want to get a job near the campus when my father called me. I could barely make out anything he was saying because he was crying so hard. Mom had been carrying the girls to dance class when they got T-boned by a logging truck. They were all dead before the first sirens got there. I almost deferred on school. Told Dad I could start a semester later without it being a big deal if he wanted me to stay around for a few more months. He told me no, in that hollow way he always spoke now, words echoing out like musical notes from a mechanical organ with no hand or heart to guide them. Even then, as I racked my brain for some way to make things better, I never thought about the bonfire or the stones. Not until my dad begged me to come home this past weekend. He'd been growing more anxious and strange the last couple of times we talked on the phone, and I'd been planning on going home for my fall break in a few days anyway, so I didn't see the harm in skipping my last couple of classes and heading back early. I knew something was wrong as I pulled into the driveway. Grass was overgrown, and there was trash piled up on the side porch. When I tried to get in the front door, my key still worked, but the door wouldn't budge. Knocking and calling for him to open up, I heard him undo three more locks before he cracked the door and peered out at me with red-rimmed eyes. I could smell alcohol on his breath, and when he swung the door wide and swept me up in a bear hug, the stale sweat stink of him nearly took my breath away. Hugging him back at first, I finally pulled away and walked past him inside. 
The house was not filthy, but it was messy and cluttered and filled with trash bags. Walking further in, I saw several empty beer cans in the living room and harder stuff on half the kitchen table I could make out from there. Dad seemed to pick up on my worried look as he patted my shoulder. Sorry, been meaning to clean up more. Thought you were coming on Saturday. I frowned at him. Dad, it... It is Saturday. How... How have you been getting to work? Like, going out at all? He gave me a wan smile and shrugged. I have, sure, just... Less lately. I can do a lot of my work from here, and they understand. Bereavement leave, they call it. I nodded. Okay, I mean, that's good, but... You don't look so hot. He turned and relocked the front door. A chain and two more deadbolts on top of what had already been there. Keeping his back turned, I saw his shoulders slump. I know how it looks. I've just been going through a real hard time. I I feel like I'm somehow responsible for what happened to your mom and the girls. When he finally did turn, his face looked haunted. And lately, the more I think about it, the more afraid I am that the same kind of thing is going to happen to me and you, as crazy as that sounds. Sitting my bag down, I stared at him. Dad, that is fucking crazy. That was the stupid truck driver's fault, not yours. What are you talking about? Tears springing to his eyes, he looked up at the ceiling. That bonfire. That damned bonfire game with the rocks and all. Me and my stupid bullshit. I didn't think there was anything to it, of course. Half forgot about it after we did the rocks. His lip began to tremble. But when I did remember, and I went out and looked. When the rocks had all disappeared, I looked it up again right there in the yard before I came inside. You remember me coming in and asking about the rocks being missing? I nodded slowly, my stomach beginning to twist in on itself. Yeah, sure, I do, but listen, I... Well, I looked back up what the whole thing was. I'd been wrong. It wasn't just a way of seeing your future for the year. It was... It was supposed to warn you if you were going to die in the next year. Dad, just let... He raised his hand and kept going. No. I've kept this a secret for a year, and it's been eating me up, especially since... Especially since this summer. I didn't want to say anything because I didn't want you to hate me or think I was crazy, but I have to say it. The website said that it was an old ritual, and if a person's stone was damaged or disappeared by the next day, that meant they'd die before the next Halloween, and Dad buried his face in his hands and began to slide down the wall to the floor. And I don't know if it just predicted it, or if it caused it, but they died. 
And if it did cause it, then I caused it, didn't I? He snuffled wetly into his palm. And if that's true, what's to keep it from taking you or me? The hall felt like it was spinning. My knees were shaky and weak as I knelt down next to him. Dad, that's not the way the world works. It was just some silly superstition and the stones didn't just disappear. It was my fault. He looked up at me, eyes still streaming. What are you saying? You're just lying to make me feel better. I appreciate it, but it doesn't... I grabbed his arm and gave it a squeeze as I softly interrupted him. No. Come out back and I'll... I'll see if I can show you. Helping him to his feet, I took him out back and across the yard to the tool shed heart in my throat, I looked between the back of the shed and the small propane tank that fed gas to the heater and the oven in the house. At first I thought it was gone, but then I saw it tucked further back in the shadows underneath the tank, but still there. Sucking in a breath, I reached in and pulled out a small shoebox that had once held Jenna or Jasmine's ice skates. Turning toward my father, I opened it up and showed him the stones inside. I took them. I did it later the same day we put them out. At the time, I thought it was going to be a funny prank or something, but then you came in and acted mad about it. I guess I got scared. I played dumb, and then I forgot about it after. I, I felt tears springing to my eyes. Jesus, I'm so sorry. I had no idea you'd been obsessing about this the entire time. Dad looked in the box and then up to me. This... This isn't right. I shook my head. It is. There's no magic. Just bad fucking luck and a kid who was too dumb to see what his dad was going through. I'm so sorry. He looked at the stones again. No. We're still not safe. Not until we can find... Sighing, I pushed past him. I needed to end this now, and maybe reversing what I did was the only way to really convince him that everything was... Well, if not okay, at least not going to get any worse. Fine, then. I'll put them back where I found them, okay? I can still see the sooty edge of the ring of ash and spots, even after all this time. Was that strange? Wouldn't it have washed away a long time ago, or the grass grown back there already? No. I was letting him infect me with his weird, crazy grief. This needed to be over. You're not listening to me. That's... Stepping over to the circle, I dumped the stones back onto the ground as I looked back up. I tried to keep the frustration out of my voice. This was all my fault, after all. See? They're back. We're fine, and they're just rocks anyway. None of this actually means there's only four. He wasn't looking at me now, 
but down at my feet, and as I followed his gaze, I felt my tongue grow thick. He was right. I hadn't noticed it before, but there had been five stones when I took them, one for each of us. Now one of them was missing. Forcing a smile, I looked back up at him. Dad, it still doesn't. The day split in two as a thunderclap sent me hurtling twenty feet back until I finally slid to a stop at the far side of the ash circle. Eyes watering, ears ringing, I looked around for what had happened. That's when I saw my father, somehow still standing. What was left of him, at least. When the propane tank blew... A foot-long shard of metal had cut him nearly in half between his neck and right shoulder before missing me and burying itself deep into a far garden wall. He stood there staring at me as he peeled apart like a wilting flower and then he just toppled over dead onto the ground. I wanted to scream, but my chest hurt too much. Gasping and coughing, I slowly got my breath back enough to let out a small wheezing wail as I crawled my way forward. I stretched out one trembling hand and grasped one of the rocks I dumped out so casually before, gripping it now as though my life depended on it. It was a pointed chunk of dark granite, and I remember picking it as my rock the year before, clearly. Letting out a weak sob, I crawled to put my rock in the center of the ash circle, far away from the uncertainty that lay beyond its edge, and nestled close to where the bonfire's light had once lived. And where, just maybe, I could still live too. The Best Candy in Beverly Valley by Rana Vassilar. Every child in Beverly Valley knew that Mr. and Mrs. Hobson down on Maplewood Drive gave out the best candy. It wasn't even just candy. That was the best part. They gave out sticky pink popcorn balls and caramel apples, and one year they even gave out toy whistles. That sure pissed off our parents for a good few weeks. Each year, children flocked to their house, eager to be the first to knock on that door and show off their costumes. The Hobsons had a serious appreciation for costumes. On that night, they could make every child feel like they'd actually become whatever it was they sought to impersonate, from dinosaurs to dragons to princesses to witches. Yeah, Halloween in Beverly Valley was the most important night of the year. At least to us children, it was. I like to think that the the Hobsons felt the same. I suppose I'll never know for certain, though. They uh, passed away when I was 12. Passed away probably isn't the most accurate choice of words, though it is the most merciful. You see, one Halloween, a few neighborhood teenagers decided to break into the Hobsons' home after all the trick-or-treating had ended. They were real delinquents. I remember one of them. His name was Matthew Torres, but everyone called him Pigfucker because... I don't know. 
I guess he looked like he liked to fuck pigs. <laughs> anyway, Pigfucker and his gang broke into the house. The Hobsons, of course, were already asleep. Not that that mattered to them. I didn't know all the details of what the boys did, but when morning came, it was horrifying. Crime scene photos were never made public. All most people knew was that the torture had gone on for hours and they'd done unspeakable things to the both of them. It wasn't long before they were caught, of course, and sentenced to life in prison. But that hardly seemed like justice for what they'd done to perhaps the two nicest people in all the Beverly Valley. No justice could mend what had been broken in our little town that night. For a few years after that, Halloween just didn't happen in our neighborhood. It was too dangerous, everyone said. But that was a lie, a cover-up. Truth was, we all felt that Halloween had died that night with the Hobsons. But time moves quickly, and people move on. Eventually, kids started trick-or-treating again. Only a few at first, but as the years passed by, the holiday festivities came back in full force, and we all tried to pretend that the Hobsons had never existed. I was doing a pretty good job of it, too, until the year I turned 18, and my mom asked me to bring my little cousin Danny out trick-or-treating. That's a night I don't think I'll ever forget. Make sure you bring her home by ten. My Aunt Priscilla was finishing adjusting Danny's hat, having used about a hundred bobby pins to keep it in place. She made a perfect little witch with her broomstick and stuffed black hat. She was wearing an orange skirt with a black spider web stitched over it, with a lacy top with long draping black sleeves. She'd been practicing her witch's cackle all week. It was incredibly adorable. So much so that I didn't even mind that I'd be sacrificing a night to take her out trick-or-treating. Besides, even at eight years old, Danny was incredibly well-behaved and a joy to be around. She and I always had a good time together. Are you ready to go, your terribleness? I asked, holding out my hand. She accepted it and answered with that cackle she was so proud of. I grinned. <laughs> I'll take that as a yes. Come on. We'd better get a move on, or the best candy will be gone. I felt a small twinge at that, remembering that the word best used to mean to me on Halloween, but I pushed it away as we walked out the door together. See you later, Aunt Priscilla. Be good, you two. And with that, we were off. I could bore you with the details of what a great night we had together, all the houses we visited, the praise that Danny got for being the best little witch anyone had ever seen. I could dwell on the moment that Danny told me it had been her best Halloween ever, knowing that I was the one who'd made it happen. But you aren't here for a happy story, are you? Of course not. Given the choice, humans would rather watch a train wreck than a sunrise. Well, here comes the train. It was getting to be around 9.30 when I decided it was time to start heading back home. 
We were in familiar territory, and it wouldn't take long to get back, but I figured we'd have a few more stops along the way, so it was better safe than sorry. This was back before I had a cell phone, and I didn't want Aunt Priscilla to worry. Just as we were leaving the Johnson house, a group of guys pulled up in a beat-up old Chevy. I recognized them as some friends from school. Hey, Seamus, have you seen Willem around tonight? We can't find the idiot anywhere. Seems like he wandered off drunk again. That's when I made a mistake. I shifted my attention just for a moment to answer my friends and give my two cents on where Willem might have dragged his drunk ass this time. After all, Danny was always so good. I figured she would stay by me and wait until I was done talking to my buddies. I was wrong. Once the guys had driven off, I glanced down to my right and realized that Danny wasn't there like she was supposed to be. I looked around the yard, my alarm growing at a steady rate as I realized I'd lost track of her. Oh, God. My heart began to constrict and my chest and throat closed up. Fuck. Fuck. Okay. <sighs> Calm down. We're in our own neighborhood. We're close to home. She can't be far. And that's when I saw something. Just a glimmer of orange down the street. The same shade as Danny's skirt. I thought it would bring me relief, but it didn't. Would you like to know why? Because I recognized the street that she was walking down. Maplewood Drive. And I recognized that house she was walking toward. The Hobson Place. Danny, no! Get away from there! I screamed. It was like she didn't even hear me. I started sprinting for her as she reached the front porch steps. I told myself I was scared because that house attracted weirdos, and who knows what they would do if they got their hands on a little girl. I told myself I was running because the wood was rotted, and she could fall through and hurt herself if I didn't stop her. I told myself a lot of things as I watched her walk to the front step and ring the doorbell. They were all lies. In reality, I was afraid of something else. I just didn't quite know what it was yet. As Danny stood there in front of the door waiting for someone who would never come, my heartbeat slowed down infinitesimally. Everything would be okay. I'd get up those stairs, grab her, and take her home, and everything would be just fine as always. Except... That's not what happened. You see, just as I reached the edge of the yard, the door opened. I stumbled to a halt, half paralyzed with both fear and confusion. Nobody lived in that place anymore. Nobody would dare. As I stood there, about as useful as a goddamn stump, a hand reached out. It was withered, its leathery skin blackened with age and something else. Burn marks, maybe. It was dark, and I couldn't see clearly enough to say for certain. As I wasted my time staring at it, the dark hand crooked a finger. It was beckoning Danny inside. Jesus Christ, Danny, no! She didn't even flinch. She stepped over the threshold, and the door creaked closed behind her. <sighs> 
I followed behind, but it was just a little too late. Always a little too late. Even in my nightmares. Or are they memories? It makes no difference to me. As gently as the door had opened before, it slammed against the wall in a show of violence as I barged my way into the house. Danny! Danny, where are you? I tried not to notice the house. How much it had changed since the last time I'd seen it. The interior of the house, what I could see from the door each year anyway, was once warm, bright, meticulously clean. It was a far cry from the destitute, rotting wood and sagging floorboards that surrounded me as I searched for my cousin. It was like a strange sort of parody of the Hobson house. And it so disgusted me that I thought, for one brief moment, I was going to throw up all over the floor. There wasn't time for that. Danny was inside with something, and I had to find her. Swallowing my gorge down, I rushed through the hallways, trying to find a clue, any clue as to where she might have gone. Came to me in the form of an open door and a tinkling laugh. It belonged to Danny, without a doubt. As I approached the door, I was dismayed to realize that it led to a basement. A cold, stark light cut through the darkness, emanating from somewhere deep inside the bowels of the house, taunting me even as it called me, taking a deep breath and ignoring the stale taste of the air. I began my descent into that strange light. It seemed like a century later when I finally reached the bottom of the stairs. Each step down was a war against my own instincts that screamed at me to run. I had to remind myself continually of the little girl I was surely going to save, of my responsibility to her and my aunt and my whole family. It was painful and it was slow, but I made progress. At last, I reached the landing and stepped out into the basement proper. I didn't see Danny right away. Remember what I said about train wrecks and sunrises. Don't think I was trying to exclude myself from that precious facet of human nature. Of course, the first thing I saw wasn't what I was looking for, but what I wanted to see. Instead, I saw carnage. There were bodies scattered all over the floor, torn apart into so many pieces that it was impossible to discern what belonged to whom. There was no way the victims could still be alive, and yet their wailing screams filled the air. It was a wonder that I hadn't heard it, really, as I'd walked down into the basement. If I had, I might have taken the coward's way out and run for my life. Among the quivering masses of flesh, flesh that begged for mercy and for death, moved two strange figures. The first was tall, with a frame so thin it looked as though it would collapse in on itself. I recognized the hand attached to it, the one that had beckoned Danny into the house. Its whole skin was charred black, 
It swayed in the middle of the floor, casting its eyes about as though looking for something. Those eyes were completely white, milky even, as though covered with cataracts. Eventually it found what it was looking for, a juicy piece of meat still attached to what must have been a leg bone. It bent down slightly, its joints creaking and its body swaying under the strain and pulled meat from the bone with its long hooked fingers. Something screamed in terrible pain as it lifted the flesh to its mouth, sucking the blood and chewing slowly, almost thoughtfully. It was a long few moments before I tore my attention away and took stock of its companion. His figure was shorter, its flesh only slightly burned. What wasn't burned was rotted, hanging loose to give me a peek at its slimy bones. Barbed wire was wrapped around its body, which, horrifying as it was, seemed to be holding its flesh together. Its abdomen was cut open and its intestines trailed out, leaving an oozing trail of blood in its wake. It, too, was searching for flesh, trying to find something to appease its hunger. Its maw opened wide in a parody of a smile as it spotted a ripped open torso with a still-beating heart on display. It knelt down and tore into the muscle with its sharp little teeth, crouched on the floor like a beast making sickening slurping noises. Shaking, I thought to myself. I was shaking and my body felt like it was shutting down. I wondered if I'd be alive long enough for that to matter. And then I saw her. Danny. My Danny, standing across the room. She was holding a head in her hands, its spinal cord still attached and dragging along the filthy floor. It possessed an ugly, disgusting face that I'd know anywhere. Pigfucker. Look at what I found, Seamus! She grinned and held the head out toward me. It screamed out in agony. I began to feel dizzy. Trick or treat, she giggled. The two carnivorous figures noticed me then. The tall, charred one gave me a thin smile, its teeth bared. We got them in the end, didn't we? It rasped, its voice decayed from disuse. The rotting figure laughed just then, a low, ugly animal sound that I couldn't bear to stay a moment longer. My abandoned Danny ran up the stairs, her witch's cackle following me like a curse. I tore through the house, ran out the front door, hoping against hope that I would make it out in one piece, trying to tell myself that it would all prove to be a strange sort of dream if I could only get away from that goddamn place. As I reached the edge of the yard, just before I was able to cross over to this sidewalk, I heard a voice, a low whisper in the wind that couldn't possibly be there. Happy Halloween, kid. I never made it to the road. I passed out right there at the edge of the yard. Just to be clear, Danny was never in the Hobson house. 
At least that's what they told me when I woke up in the hospital, screaming that somebody had to save her, even though she had been bewitched by something sick and twisted festering in that basement. No. Danny was safely at the Johnson house the whole time I was conducting my frantic search. She turned her back to me for a few moments while I spoke with my friends, exchanging some candy with a few fellow trick-or-treaters. By the time she'd finished her trade, I was gone. Mrs. Johnson had called my aunt immediately, who was furious at first, but eventually concerned when nobody could find me. I was only in that house for 20 minutes at most. At least that's what I thought. Turns out I was missing... More than four hours. They found me shivering on the ground in front of the Hobson place, unresponsive and crying. They told me that by the time I was brought to the hospital, I was completely unconscious and just wouldn't wake up. They said that I remained unconscious for a week. They wanted to know what happened. When I told them, they started to talk about other things. Things like PTSD and hallucinations and psychosis and trauma. They didn't even pretend to believe me, but I knew what I saw. Nobody could convince me otherwise. Even when the police came and told me they'd been through the house and found nothing, I knew the truth. I was rewarded with a brief stint in a mental ward for my stubbornness. Eventually I learned to lie, play the game, pretend to be normal and healthy. It fooled everyone, even me. They let me out after a few months, and I went back to life as usual. I moved away to college, and let them believe I'd left Hobson House in the past. They were fools falling for that ruse. As soon as I was away from Beverly Valley, I did a little research. I needed answers, and I wasn't getting them from anyone in my hometown, especially not from those people who knew about my incident. Google, however, proved to be very informative. Do you know what I learned? I learned the sordid details about what happened to the Hobsons, about how Mr. Hobson was skinned alive, blind, burned to death about how Mrs. Hobson was eviscerated, bound with barbed wire, and split open at the mouth with a pair of folded scissors. They believe she died last, lying next to her husband as his body burned into near ash. But that's not all. I did a little research on Pigfucker, too, and his friends, at least those whose names I remembered or could find dead. Every single one. They'd all died a few months after the murders. Pigfucker had been knifed to death by another inmate. A few of the others had committed suicide out of guilt. One had a heart attack and was found dead in his cot the next morning. And I... Well, I know the truth. I don't talk about the Hobson house anymore. This is the only account that will ever exist of my experiences. Just like everyone else in Beverly Valley, I pretend that it doesn't exist. I try to forget Halloween's past. 
I shut away all the memories and nightmares as best I can, but sometimes when it's late at night and sleep is evading me, I'll think back to that awful night. Of Mr. Hobson and Mrs. Hobson torturing their murderers, feasting on their flesh, terrible caricatures of themselves, damned to eternity and damning in return. And I can't help but agree with what Mr. Hobson said. It seems that they did get them in the end. Good evening, everyone. I hope you all enjoyed tonight's video. I know I did. The last story was a little intense, but I enjoyed it. I do have something exciting to say. Um, today is my birthday. October 14th, when you're listening to this. October 14th, 2022. I am officially 28 years old. And I know there's going to be people in the comments, Oh, you're such a baby. Oh, you're so much younger than I thought. I know. Just, I know. <laughs> I hear it all the time. Um, but yeah, 28 years old. It's kind of crazy. If you want to um, do something special for me on my birthday, there is a thanks button underneath the video beside the like and dislike bar where you can give me a little donation if you want. There are also links in the description where you can become a mer. Blah, 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 blah. There are also links in the description where you can become a member or you can uh, become a patron over on Patreon. You'll get videos a day early, and you'll also join everyone that you see on screen now if you become a five dollar patron or member. I appreciate all of you all the same, no matter if you give a donation or support the channel in any way. Showing up and listening to the videos is enough for me, it really is. And I appreciate everyone. It's been a rough year for me personally, but I think things are looking up. And I'm really excited to see what next year has in store. I know it's only mid-October, but 2023 is going to be an interesting year, I think. So, I'll leave you all with a question. Down below, let me know, what is your favorite Halloween candy? I'd really like to know. I'm a classic Reese's peanut butter person myself, but let me know what you like down below and uh, maybe we'll chat about it a little bit. Thank you all so much for watching. I'm going to enjoy the rest of my birthday and um, see you soon on Monday. Brand new video. Take it easy, everyone. And as always, stay safe out there.